we had uh, Sam and Jennifer Durham come back for our missions conference this year, um, which I think it's the first time they've been able to be at the missions conference. And But I felt horrible because we didn't get to promote their ministry. They didn't get to have a booth. They didn't get to be promoted on any of the nights or share in any of the services. And And so I had a secret plan, and that was I knew Sam was preaching on December 2nd that we would highlight their ministry on this Sunday. And so they've got a booth out in the back. Jennifer will be at it. And if you've never met Jennifer, it's just fun talking to her. Um, So stop by their booth, and uh, they have a ministry to Asia that is an overseeing elder ministry as part of YWAM. And this is all over Asia. Sam, I believe, is a true apostle today. And it is our privilege to have him sent from this church. He is, him, him and his family are some of our best, personal best friends. Um, but I don't want you to miss what an apostolic office brings because of how much we like Sam. The Bible says in Ephesians 4, there are offices that are given to the body of Christ. And many of these offices, the gift is so big that they're not for one church. They travel. They go around and they speak in many different places. But the point of Ephesians 4 is every local body needs all of the offices. We need everything that all of the offices bring, that you can't Reach your destiny as a person or as a church just with the local gifts that God has placed offices in the body of Christ. And if we will receive them with humility, what God wants to deposit in us will happen as, as he brings different gifts to this pulpit. And so, um, Sam, we honor you. We honor your gift. We love your friendship. And, uh, Thank you. Thank you for being here today. Could we welcome Sam Durham? Well, good morning. Thank you. Wow, with an introduction like that, I'm really scared. Um... I am excited to be here because this is our home church and uh, it's often tough to speak to a home audience because everybody knows everything. (laughs) That was a pun intended. (laughs) Um, In the last uh, three, four months, I've been uh, traveling quite a bit. Um, Thank you. I've been traveling quite a bit and I've noticed something happening in the churches um, in the different nations and also here in America. I felt like the anxiety level has gone a little high. There's anxiety in the church. And it has different roots to it. It has different processes of where and where and how it happens. We'll all talk about that in just a little bit. I do not know what the anxiety level is in the churches in the broad sense. 
But the anxiety level that the enemy does in raising because it evaporates our faith in God. It just puts us right back into our own abilities, our competencies, our skill sets, our understanding, our experience, and all of that. And yet it is not sufficient for us to counter that anxiety. It can come in many different forms. I mean, as a church as a whole can have a different anxiety that is uh, different from an individual. An individual anxiety could be in relationships. It could be in your marriage. It could be in your debts, in your credit cards. It could be in your interpersonal relationships. It could be in the place of work where you work. And all kinds of situations that, circumstances that causes us to come into a place of anxiety. Every Sunday we come and we worship God and we uh, feel good uh, about it because God does show up. But when we leave, we go back to the same daily grind and that level has increased. And now Christmas is coming and there's a lot of gifts to buy. And so that's another anxiety level. We just finished praying off last year's gifts. Now we have to start all over again. Um, Why is that? Why is this enemy using a whole bunch of even marketing, even the world in Um, shaping our mind and what's our response as a church how do we stand in this sometimes anxiety all kinds of things can be very overwhelming very overwhelming and we won't know what to do with it you see today I'm going to be talking about battles and the battles that we want to talk about that we all experience there are three kinds of battles basically that we encounter First one is the seasonal battle. The second one is the cycles of battle. The third one is the daily battle. The seasonal battle, I'm not going to major too much on this service. Next service, maybe I would. Um, Seasonal battles basically comes in seasons just simply to test our character. Uh, Battles that deal with our control issues or lust, or our covetousness, or desire for more um, of the worldly things. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just that we must know how to manage what it is. So those seasonal battles come and test our character. And every once in a while, just when we think we have just landed on some uh, good place, that I'm saying my character's good, But then there's the enemy that comes to throw a dart at it and to make sure. At the end of this, I will tell you why that that happens. The second one is the cycles of battles. The cycles of battles is basically initiated by the powers of darkness themselves. Basically, the cycles of battles... uh, Is it coming up there? No. All right. Uh, Cycles of battles is basically to... Uh, frustrate God's plans and his will in and through our lives. You see, God has chosen us. We are part of God's army. And the enemy comes to discredit us, to malign our character. Because when we get our characters maligned, we become ineffective in a battle. We become ineffective to face our own uh, things that is in front of us. These are cycles of battles to pre, uh, primarily to make us ineffective. Soon you'll be hearing me preach on the message uh, from Jehoshaphat. 
But before that, I'm just giving us a little overview of where we're going with this. So cycles of battles, many of us, sometimes it happens concurrently, seasonal cycle and daily. All three, some two, but most generally two. We're constantly having those battles going on. The daily battle is every day that we have a battle. Uh, the battles for choice. What choice do we make? How does it affect us? Is it good choices, bad choices we make? And the choices we make can also create a place in our, our own lives, a kink in our armor that makes us ineffective too. So we just resign to say, oh, I'm just weak. I'm, I'm not like Pastor Tom or Pastor Greg who are giants in the Lord. And I often wonder how they manage that. Because this daily battles come and it brings a fear level higher. The fear is something that you and I are constantly facing. God has not given us a spirit of fear. But here what happens is every single one of us have different fears to face. Each one has different fears. Your fear is not my fear. My fear is not your fear. But there are fears. We just get, some of us get afraid of seeing our own shadows. We think, oh my goodness, paranoid. Everybody's following me. Or why do they, why, why are they just pointing themselves at me? Why are they looking at me? All kinds of fears come in there. And that's the daily battle. Because the enemy wants us to succumb to fear. Why fear? Fear paralyzes us from making effective and good decisions. Fear paralyzes from us from making the right step forward. In fact, we, we stop and we no, don't do anything because of fear. And so they, these kinds of battles make us all ineffective. And that's one of the strategies of the enemy to bring the anxiety level high so that the church at large will become ineffective. Is somebody listening to me? Amen? So, even you. Now, there is something here that I'd like to bring in a connecting point is if you consider this as your church, as your home church, even if you're not a member but you feel like this is your church and you're coming here, and if that is the case, there is a certain anointing upon the, uh, the overall umbrella of the church. There is an anointing of God. Every church has an anointing, and every church member is an extension of that anointing. So wherever you live as a household is an extension of the church, and that's where your battle is too. Are you with me? And so what happens is in this battle, we are together in trying to understand some of the processes or some of the strategies that God wants to give us. And if we fight together, we are reconfiguring the spiritual atmosphere over us. The principalities and the powers of darkness. If we fight alone, we may become a sitting duck. Because don't, let us not kid ourselves. Yes, we have power over the enemy, but you have no idea what power the enemy has. And if you think you and I can fight the enemy by ourselves, we are wrong. We need the church, the overall church, the body, the, the, uh, the anointing that we come under. Is somebody listening to me? Otherwise, you and I, we can go like a lone ranger and say, yeah, I got this, I got this. And then one sucking punch he gives and then we're flat and we say, what happened? 
That's because we are not part of the overall anointing. Is somebody listening to me? And so when you go home, every home, every household, every single, every, everyone who's by themselves everywhere, you're the extension of the church. As this church is the extension of the FCA church. As the FCA is the extension of the big body of Christ all over the world. Amen? Yeah. Amen? And so I want to bring us into that perspective to see how you and I can win battles even without you fighting it. Because somebody else is wanting to rise up on your behalf to fight. And that's God. Amen? And so let's go quickly into our message tonight, uh, this morning. I'm still night there because I'm in our... Um, I'm, we are jet lagging, both Jennifer and I, terribly. Uh, my passage is taken from Second Chronicles chapter 20, verses 1 and 2 and following. Um, I would like us actually to stand as is the custom um, when we read the word. Um, I'm only going to read verse 12 and then we can set. Second Chronicles chapter 20 verse 12. For we have no power against this great multitude that's coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We have no power. Father, we ask for your presence and your anointing to come unto us, Lord, for all of us. Without you, we can do nothing, and apart from you, we are nothing. And so, Lord, we pray as we position ourselves for year 2019, may this word become a prophetic word for 2019, Lord. May we all enter into that place of victory. We sang that. Our worship was so right on today, God, that we will stand in that place. Your name is victory. And so we will start the 2019 with that. But in this whole year, we give you thanks and praise for what you have done for us. We also thank you, Lord, for the wisdom that you've given in our failures that we have experienced. And for the losses that we have had. For the loved ones that we have lost. Lord, we ask, Lord, today, would your spirit so fill us and bring us a word of encouragement and lift our hearts up. So that once again we can rise up from our feeble spirit, from our feeble faith, and say, yes, I'm part of this, to see the victory of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. So here we are uh, looking at this passage, and uh, an intelligence report comes to um, Jehoshaphat, saying that there is a great multitude coming at us. And at this hearing, Jehoshaphat fears. Fear grips him. It's not that, that Jehoshaphat didn't have an army. It's not that he didn't have an army. If you actually look at Second Chronicles chapter 17, verses 12 to 19, we go through in that chapter, it goes through the whole entire chapter of battalion after battalion, commander after commander, and you add it all together, he had 1,060,000 soldiers, battle-ready soldiers. That's as huge as army that Jehoshaphat had. 
See, he could have easily gone to war with that because he says, I got this kind of people. I could do this. But what kind of multitude this could be that his heart sank, that his million was no match to what is coming in front of him. And then he says, for we have no power, for we do not know what to do. Have you ever been in a place where you did not know what to do in your circumstance? Have you ever come into a place where you said, I don't know what to do. I'm messed up. Or I'm in a place where I can't think anymore. Or have you ever even said that I have no power to change things? Everything is stacked up against me. Is somebody listening to me? You see, some, every one of us at seasonal times, we go through those seasons where we do not know what to do. We do not know what to even expect. And we don't even have an internal understanding to what step do I take? We have no power. Has anybody been in that situation or is it only me? Because I go through those situations almost every month. That's why I I lean on God so much. Uh, If you know what I'm doing, that will cause you to be on your knees. Is somebody listening to me? You see, that is the place that Jehoshaphat was. He was totally out of all his options. And he said, what can I do? But my eyes are on you. But my eyes are on you. That's easy for you and I to say, well, Jehoshaphat said that. And we have gone into looking at God's eye. We've, we've said, God, don't you look at me. We've gone in so many places we argue with God and say, am I forgotten by you? I'm, I, what did I do that's so wrong that I've lost out on your favor? We talk negative things to God. But God, here's Jehoshaphat in the midst of not knowing what to do. He looks at God. Who God is. Not what he can get out of God, but who God is. One of the strategies of the enemy is to blind you and me about who God is in your circumstance. In my circumstance. Amen. Amen? Who God is. This is my favorite. I've done that many times here. But it's so rich, I want to do it over and over and over again. It's not because I don't have anything to talk about. It's just want us to lift us in our quotient of faith by knowing who God is. Amen? Amen? And we'll talk about that in just a little bit. And then when he says, I have no power and he is in the midst of all his people, the whole nation fasting and the spirit of God comes upon the congregation. Watch this. The spirit of God in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 then the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah the son of Benaiah the son of Jeel, the son of Metaniah, a Levite, the son of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. And he said, 
Listen, all you Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and you, King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude for the battle is not yours but God's. The battle is not yours but God's. So the key here is one thing what happened here is he does acknowledge to God but my eyes are on you but this is my status. This is my state. I have nothing here. Nothing to offer. Because this multitude is only about 40 miles away in, in Engadai. Um, about three days marching into the city. He's toast because it's coming all around. So he had no chance to even redo anything or strategize. And he told him that. And then the Spirit of God comes. Now here's this very important thing here. The Spirit of God comes on someone extremely insignificant. The person's name was never mentioned before the Bible, before this chapter, or after this incident. It was only a one-time thing. And it came upon a person that nobody knew. And that's how he had to be identified. He was son of, son of, son of, son of. So that somehow we can trace the genealogy. Oh, okay, we know who this guy is. It came on a very insignificant person. And he got the word of the Lord. He spoke the word of the Lord. And he said this. The battle is not yours, but mine. Now when God says that, that means his battle, his rules. Not our rules, not the way we want to steer things, but the way God wants to do it. How many of you don't like that? <laughs> because we think we got it figured out. We, we, how, how many of you have caught yourself praying to God, Oh God, just mess with my husband God so that he will recognize that you are God and he would have the fear of the Lord upon him. What about the other lady, the Lord? I, Father, I pray that you will put a tennis ball in my wife's mouth, God. <laughs> I mean, we, we pray prayers telling God how to fix things. We think God needs a little advice from us. And we try to tell God how to do things. But when God says, this is my battle, that means it's his battle. He plays by his rules, not my rules. Many times I prayed those kinds of prayers. I didn't say a, a tennis ball for Jennifer. I might have said ping pong ball. But, <laughs> but that, I, you know what I mean. How we talk about our bosses and, oh God, our boss is a creep and we do this and do that. And we are asking God, do this, do this, do this. What do you think is? Some... Slave robot of yours? God says, this is my battle. And see what happens now. This is what God says to him. And something that I would like to talk to us in a little bit. And he says here in verse 17. Position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of God. Position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of God. Position yourself. That we can do. But standing still? I'm not sure. 
We are so itchy. We always want to do something. Have you ever noticed some people who are always walking and wanted to do, they cannot sit still, but God is saying, sit, stand still. And that's hard for many Christians to do. We always want to help God. And he is saying, God is saying, position yourself, stand still, do nothing. How many of you can do nothing? You'll think that's in, very unspiritual to do nothing. Oh, we got to do something. I'm a Christian. I must fast. Okay, you already fasted, but now God says, stand still. This is after the fact. They were all fasting, and now he says, stand still. Don't do anything. But that's something we have to learn as a spiritual discipline to know how to stand still and wait before God. There was a woman of God that deeply impacted my life. Her name is Joey Dawson. She said, Sam, are you willing to stand in front of God for six hours and not hear a thing from God? Can you come into that place of discipline to wait on God? Because you see, America has come into a place of such conveniences of the instant everything. Drive through this, drive through that, drive through church now in Las Vegas. True, you just go through one window, you hear one song, and you go to the other window, there's a little sermon, one two-minute sermon, it's all recorded, and you think somebody's really speaking to you, and then you go to the third window, you get, take their offering, and then the fourth window, come back again next Sunday, and that's the end of the story, and you're happy. How many of us come to church to soothe conscience? Why do you come to church on Sunday? What is the real reason of coming to church? Is it to soothe conscience or to really come to a place where saying, God here, we want to worship you. Regardless of my failures of last week, regardless of me blowing up, regardless of all these things, I'm coming here, God, to acknowledge you as God. Or are we coming here with a shopping list, Christmas list, or bless me list, or kill them, kill them list. You know, we we have many reasons of coming to church. What is your reason to come to church this morning? That is not for me to ask. I mean, for you to answer me. That's between you and God. You see, when we take church for granted, remember the anointing. When we take the anointing that is upon the church for granted, we miss out on the great inheritance or the great destiny of your call within the church anointing. If we take that for granted, that is why we have to be alert to listen to what God is speaking to us as a church. So that when you go back home, it is an extension. And that extension is an extension of the border of your warfare. You see, when we become Christians, we, we are signed up to a war. And in the context of war, we already won it. But in the context of battle, sometimes we win and sometimes we lose. And there are some people here, there are battles that you've lost which you actually should have won. And we didn't win is because we did not understand the anointing upon the church that we are under or we come under that protection. Is somebody listening to me? Or am I too deep? It's so simple. Are you with me? Amen. All right, this is actually a four-part message, but let's see what happens here. 
And see the salvation of the Lord. The word salvation here is not about the salvation of souls. The literal meaning from Hebrew, the word means deliverance. And if you go further in that lineage, it means rescue. It means safety. It means physical rescue. Amen? So Jehoshaphat positioned himself. He took four postures of positioning. That I would like to share with you so that whatever battle that you're in and for the battle that we have to face and enter into 2019, let us posture in those four postures. Posture number one. He positioned himself in the presence of God. Dearly beloved, I sincerely mean this. When we come into the church or our prayer meeting, and when we receive from God through worship or through the sharing, we need to take that to our place. Each home. Each place that you'll dwell. We need to take, we can't leave it here and say, oh, that was cool. Pastor Tom spoke a very cool message today. Yes, he does. we, We hear him from China or wherever we are. But we have to take it home. And three things we need to do with that. What does that word mean to me today? Second, how is that word going to be broken in my practical application? Third, how would I speak that same word to someone that is under my influence? You don't have to give Pastor Tom's CD to them, but you repeating that same word, because that is what you call activating. But we'll come to that here in a little bit. But right now, he positioned himself in the presence of God. Because when you position yourself in the presence of God, it increases your faith. Say increase. You must say it like you believe it, okay? That's right. So when you're in the presence of God, so what happens is sometimes we get this temptation. We go to a movie, and we'll say, well, is God's presence here? Presence here. Of course he's there. Because God said, I'm everywhere. Amen? Amen. I mean, I'm not being the good old days. We used to say, God, never go to a movie because um, you don't want Jesus to catch you when he comes back. Uh, Finding you sitting and watching Ten Commandments. But the presence of God is something that we must always dwell in. The cognizance of knowing the presence of God. Amen. I want to unpack it in a different way later. But for now, I want to give you an understanding of what happens in the presence of God. Because in the presence of God, there is a proceeding of the prophetic word. There's a proceeding of the prophetic word. Every single one of us in this room need to hear the prophetic voice of God. The spirit of prophecy is Jesus. We need to hear the word every day, every moment, at our dwelling place. Amen? The prophetic voice, the prophetic that comes in. And that's when it came on a significant, insignificant person 
and he spoke the word of the Lord. You know, when I was a national director of our mission in India, um, word came to my office. There was one of our centers that was under attack. People came with uh, machetes and sticks and came to this base and started to attack. The fastest I could go to that place was two days later. And when I went there, I saw the wreckage. I saw the devastation. I saw how the rocks had broken certain things. But what I heard there was something very powerful, and it etched in my heart, and I never forget this since then. And that was this. They pulled our director out, and they threw him on the ground, and people started to beat him with the sticks. He had a two-year-old daughter. The daughter saw that the father was being beaten, so she knew something was wrong. So she, two years old, in her innocence, she's going, papa, 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 towards the father who's being beaten. And one of the women missionaries saw this, and she knew that two more steps, this stick will land on that little child's head, and the brains will be splattered. So she knew that danger. She ran and picked up the little child, this little girl, and ran to the women's um, um, hostel. And the crowd saw this, and they followed her. She ran into that women's house, and she went inside, secured the door, and all the women, all the girls inside secured the windows, and they were pounding and pounding at the door, and they went into a huge scream. Now, they were Christians. And I will say, well, what about God? I mean, you're supposed to know God. Why were they screaming? Fear set in them. It was a very natural thing. And they screamed. Wah! They screamed with fear, not knowing what is going to happen. At that moment, this two-year-old girl, two-year-old child, said in pure English, she does not know how to speak English, she said, why are you afraid? So the girls thought, Kind of cute. Maybe she got that from one of the outreach teams. Uh, she learned this. But it was a second line that caught their attention. She said this. Why are you afraid? Don't you know you're the apple of God's eye? At that word, the fear seized and they started to worship God. It came on an insignificant person a two-year-old girl. There are children praying down, uh, down underneath here in the basement. Someday, those children will walk here and speak the word of God that you would never have imagined. Because the spirit of God will not just come on the king or the priest or someone that is big name, but it came upon an insignificant person. You could be an old widow and the word of God should come upon you. You could be an innocent man who had been going through life's 
struggles and nobody has even acknowledged you or possibly even ignored you in the hallway. But God can come through you and speak because the Spirit of God will come upon the insignificant to give you the salvation, the physical rescue that you need. That is if you position yourself and take the posture of being in the presence of God. Is somebody listening? You know, at times I used to think, I mean, don't misunderstand me. At times I used to think when pastor used to keep on talking about, you know, we're contending for the presence, bro. We're, we're doing this, we're doing, I'm thinking, okay, all right, let's, let's do something then. That's inside me. But it dawned on me, that's the voice that needs to be carried to our homes. That's the voice that we need to bring to our workplace. To say, God, bring your presence. I want to be in your presence, God. You may not feel it. You may not, you know, have the goosebumps. Or you may not do one of those runarounds the church. You may not do one of those rollings over here. Because I'm used to speaking in Pentecostal churches. So uh, they do that often. And sometimes they come and throw money on the, on the stage while I'm preaching. That never happens in city church. <laughs> Are you with me? All right. Anyway. How many of you want to hear a personal word, a prophetic word, the now word right now in your life? Come on, let me see if you have. You won't get leprosy. Whoa, there's a lot of people. For that, we have to be in the presence of God. Position ourselves. And we take that anointing from here to our homes. Is somebody listening? It's doable. Say it's doable. It's not some super spiritual, mystical stuff. It's simply carrying what you got from the Lord during the worship or from the prayer meeting and took it home and dwelt on it. Amen. When you do that, There is some contending that takes place in the spiritual realms that you cannot even know and you cannot even understand. But when it reconfigures, there will be portals. There will be God moments. There would be a heaven moment. There would be all kinds of moments that you would be engaging yourself with such intensity of joy that you have not experienced in a long time. Is somebody listening to me? Amen? That is why it is important if you think this is your church. I mean, welcome guests. I mean, you're welcome to become part of us. Um, But that doesn't mean you have to leave wherever you are. I mean, if we welcome you. But if you think this is your church, I don't like standing here. This one is here, so it's okay. Uh, Are you with me? It's so important. Position number two. Jehoshaphat positioned himself and postured himself um, in the people of God. Because when you position yourself in the people of God, it activates your faith. If you position yourself in the presence of God, it increases your faith. 
But if you position yourself in the people of God, it activates your faith. You see, I could not understand Hebrews when it says, forsake not the assembling of saints. Because the assembling of saints, that's what happens mostly on Sunday here. Assembling of saints. There's so many uh, things that we can unpack from the word assembling and to the word saints when they come together. There's something that happens in that dimension. And that's the dimension of understanding and acknowledging one another as brothers and sisters in the Lord or knowing who we are in Christ as children of God. And when we know, have a revelatory experience of knowing that, that we are children of God, God does something, it activates our faith. Are you with me? Now this is an adapted version of a of a joke, but it actually happened with Jennifer and I. I learned so much from her. You know, when I gave up my role as national director, so for a brief two or three weeks, we went to Malaysia to Jennifer's home and wanted to uh, pull back and just think about the last five years, what I did and what I should have done, what I could have done, all of that, and just going through that stuff and yet being removed. And uh, we, we were enjoying that moment. But in that place, in that three weeks, Jennifer and I uh, went to a mom and pop provision store. It's a, it's a little uh, grocery store that has everything in it. So when we went there, I drove, and I parked, and I went there, and I found out that the guy there was being extra nice to Jennifer. And I have never met this guy before. I mean, way nicer than normal, welcome, what shall I help you with? No, this was more friendlier than that. And then my wife is also responding differently, and I'm thinking, hmm, what's going on here? Uh, <laughs> what is it that I did not know? Uh, uh, you know, it's kind of a... Uh, petty jealousy sort of came into my heart and I was watching this very closely and they were talking in another language which I don't understand that made it even worse so I could why are they talking in another language because that is their the national language so I, I didn't understand and this was getting on and on and on and they were you know punching one another and all that stuff and I thought this is not nice Anyway, we bought something, and I was wondering, how much longer are we going to be here? We already bought what we need to buy, maybe sugar or something. So I said, okay, let's go. And so we were going. But now I was thinking in my mind, how do I bring this to my wife? How do I ask her about this stuff? I said something really stupid. Instead of really carefully thinking it through, I was driving, and there was silence while we were driving home for a period of time. And then I said to her, sweetheart, you know, if you had married that guy, you would have been a wife of a provision store guy. I mean, trying to bring that guy down. So Jennifer waited for a few moments, uh, thought through and turned around. She said, No, Sam. If I had married him, he would have been the national director of India. (laughs) Ouch! Ouch! So much 
for that. What's my point? My point is, because of Jennifer, I've come a long ways. Because of prayers of people and my wife, I've come this far. And God, of course. You have no idea. You have come this far because of somebody. Somebody even here. And we don't even give them enough credit. Is somebody listening to me? We don't even give them enough credit. You see, when we assemble together in a church, people activate what's inside you. He very nicely said that he's got an apostolic anointing, but that has to have an activation somewhere. And God gave me a wife that would poke me around to provoke me to good works, to provoke me to acts of Good things. Acts of righteousness. Is somebody listening to me? We need one another. Say we need. need. Even though you look at somebody and say, I I can live without you. How many times do you look at that? Have you ever heard that um, saying, if looks could kill, you would be dead? I wonder how many people will be in this auditorium today. (laughs) If looks could kill. Are you with me? That's why we need one another in this church. We need the assembling. This is where the anointing is. Is how we activate. How we believe in one another. How we can say, you can do this. You can do this. Even if you said, oh, I'm not educated. I'm not qualified. I'm not this. I'm just a roadside mechanic. So what? Peter was a fisherman who couldn't count more than 1,000 because everything was in 1,000. That's a max he could go up to. And yet, look what happened to him. Is somebody listening to me? We need one another. Are you avoiding the second service because you don't like somebody and coming first service? Are you avoiding somebody that you... No, we need one another. I wish there would be a day when the whole church would come for a celebration. Both first and second service. And then we see the value in each other. You see, the world now is pulling those good things from the word of God. And now putting it into their management values and saying, value one another. How much more in the church? You see, if the enemy is able to somehow deceive you and me and separate us from getting that activation from each other, sometimes it doesn't even need for you to say a word. It's just one glance at a person. It's just one word of prayer to the other person that activates your faith. How many of you want to be activated in your faith today? Then we need one another. Hello. We talk about unity, but before we even go to unity, we have to look at the wonder why God called us to be a church. Amen? Third posture. Say, Sam. Sam. This is good stuff. I I knew it. I I just wanted encouragement. (laughs) All right. Third posture, he postured himself in the promises of God. Because when you position yourself in the promises of God, it sustains your faith. We sang that beautiful song, I'm holding on to the promises of God. I'm holding on to the promises of God. 
You know, um, a man and his five-year-old son went into a grocery store, something like Woodman's. Have you ever had this experience before? It's a coincidence, but when you go in, there's also somebody be just right behind you who has similar lists like you going through the same aisle as you're going. Have you ever had that, someone follow you around? I don't know, I seem to have magnets like that, but I don't know about you. So there's this little old lady who was following this man, and she was hearing this man saying, Albert, don't touch. Albert, no, 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 no. Albert, turn around, turn around, turn around. Albert, we already have that. Leave it, leave it. Albert, Albert, you don't need another one. You don't need another one. You have one. Come on, Albert. Come on, move, move. And so this old lady was listening to this and getting a little worried for this poor five-year-old kid. So at the checkout, she talks to him, Sir, I, I, I just want to talk to you as a, an elderly lady giving you a little advice. I've noticed that you are always saying negative things to Albert and no, no, no. He's a little child. You might as well call him no. Poor Albert. How would he grow up? So he turns around and he says, Ma'am, Albert is my name. I have a problem with compulsive buying. So I have to speak to myself. No, Albert, no, 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 no. Turn around, turn around. Stop, stop. You already have it. No, no, no. He was speaking to himself. How many of you have a list and then come back with more things in your... You see, he had a problem. So what did he do was he spoke to himself. No, no, you already have it. You don't need another one. Yes, it's on sale. You don't need extra. You know how many of us get so attracted by sale? You see, promises of God are supposed to be like that. The promises of God should always be upon our lips. What has God promised you in the last three months? What has God promised you in the last three years? What has God promised us as a church? When was the last time we retrieved those promises for our church? And we examined them and spoke those promises over and over and over again. Because God's promises are yea and amen. And he wants to fulfill it. But if you and I put it in some deep freeze or in some filing cabinet. And when some prophet comes and prays over Oh yeah, two years ago somebody gave me the same promise. What's the point of being a reminder from another guy? When God spoke to you two years and you haven't had it on your mouth. What do you think Jehoshaphat said? Lord, we remember how you took care of your people. Lord, we remember. He kept on not telling God that you promised to come along with it. He wasn't whining. He was simply excited about the promises that God had made. Because God makes promises, but it's his timing, not my timing. But we need to continually remind because one of the things that the enemy does is to undermine the faith of God. And when you stand in the promises of God, it sustains your faith no matter what battle you are facing. Are you with me? Are you with me? Is somebody listening to me? Every single one of us in this room have received promises. There is not an exception. Maybe you don't remember them, 
But God is so good, so kind, he gives his promises to all of us. Amen? And if we remember those promises, it'll sustain us. Why? Because that sustenance will create an expectancy. Expectancy that God will come through. My spiritual father used to say this. The hour of the miraculous is couched in the atmosphere of expectancy. How expectant are you? When I say you, it's a plural you. It includes me. Are you listening to me? I'm not trying to talk down upon us. We have to have a heart of expectancy despite the circumstance. Despite where we are. Is God good or what? Because that will sustain our faith and create expectancy and faith will arise. Amen? 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 Amen. Finally, very quickly, he positioned himself in the praises of God. Because when he positions you, when you position yourself in the praises of God, it perpetuates your faith. That's why, beloved, do not miss a Sunday. For you, some, most of us, Sunday is the only touch base with the church. You know, other parts of the world have it so hard. We have it so good. If only the weather report says there's going to be snow, we don't show up. You see, forsaking the assembling of saints, there is a goodness that God has in every assembling. There is a goodness in every Sunday service, no matter how boring the speaker is. It doesn't matter who speaks and what they speak and randomly they say some things, but there's always the name of Jesus, at least through worship. Do not miss your Sunday service. Do not miss a Sunday. If you can make it, make it to the prayer meeting because that's the furnace. That really releases us. I know many of us can't make that, but at least Sunday. Have your priorities reordered. I'm saying it in a loving way. I'm not saying you're a bunch of hypocrites. No, you're not. What I'm saying is, why are we robbing ourselves the goodness of God? Why are we robbing ourselves what God might do? Why do we always have to have things blocked out on our calendar other than church on Sunday? Keep this as holy. Keep this as something that you want to meet God, not have to. You want to. Praises of God. You know, when Jennifer and I started our mission work, we slept on newspapers. We, we were very poor. We had only 10 U.S. dollars as our support. That doesn't mean I'm taking offerings after this for myself, no. And when we, in that, we had our son, Daniel. 
For some wild reason, my wife weaned him off. And so he was on formula milk. And, and she came to me one evening. She says, there's only one more feed left in this tin. I said, sure. I have 100 rupees with me. That's about $1.50. And that's enough to buy me one tin of formula milk. I'll go ahead and do that in the evening. You know, sometimes I should go immediately and do it. But no, I just kept that and waited. And then an hour later, a couple walked into our home and they came in and they said, and they were talking to me and Jennifer was in the bedroom and they were talking to me and they said, you know, we desperately need 100 rupees. Could, you, could we borrow from you? And I'm thinking, no, 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 that's not happening. That's for my son. But my wife came out. She said, can I speak to you in the room? That's very dangerous when she says that. <laughs> and so she said, Let's, can we pray about giving him? I said, excuse me, Daniel is my son, and you couldn't have had him without me. So I have equal responsibility. And as a father, I say, no. She said, can't you trust God? I mean, what is that to trust God? They should trust God. Why are they trusting in me? <laughs> I had all kinds of excuses. But nevertheless, she said, let's give it. We'll, we'll trust God. So, you know, I came out smiling, but inside I was boiling, and I gave them the 100 rupees, and I was dead broke. After I gave, I was filled with fear and anxiety. I went upstairs to the roof and I started to pace and I said oh God forgive me I should have put my foot down as a father as a husband and taken my place as a leader of the house and said no now Lord please have mercy can I go to the opposite house and ask Mrs. Jacob she loves missionary can I borrow that he said no don't do that so now you know I'm a man of faith so I came downstairs and my son was fast asleep I put my hand upon him and I say in the name of Jesus be filled I've prayed with such faith that he will be so filled that he will never be hungry till we have money. As soon as I finished praying, he cried. I said, what did I go do now? I mean, of course, he had to have his feed, and that was the end of it. And I sat in a corner sucking my thumb and very upset with my wife. And what was my wife doing? She was singing praises to God. And I was, mm, I was mad. I said, how could you sing praises to God when you know that last finished is, uh, feed is finished? And I'm thinking this, and I'm not telling her, but I'm so upset and mad with her. I'm so upset and mad. At 9.30 in the night, another couple walks in. and said, so, you know, we were in this department store, and we were near this, milk section and we thought we'll buy you a, mil- a, a, a tin of milk is this right for you it was double the size and exactly the same brand because you know kids get used to certain formula I said yes thank you I took it and my wife is looking at me and smiling <laughs> and she said it's time to praise God isn't it what's my point 
I'm almost time up. I have one more story, but I won't tell. But let's close here because I want to close it in this way. I'm not assuming that you have a battle. Neither am I assuming that you need some kind of a victory or a rescue. I'm going to ask Tina come up here and she's going to lead us in a song. And as she sings, this is how I fight my battle. I would actually want you to activate something inside you. And you come up here and, and come under that anointing of that worship. And allow God to raise you up from where you are. Amen? But before that, just be in a pause moment. And if you have ch- children, go pick them up. It's already 10 o'clock. But you come back here into this atmosphere. Because God is about to do a miracle that you are wanting to see. Amen? And I'm going to be here for a moment. And I would like if you would come up. This is not about confessing your sins. This is about you and God.